All right, if you want to open up your Bible to Psalm chapter 29, we're going to be taking a look at this psalm, all 11 verses. This is a psalm about a storm. You've been hearing about a storm all week, so uh, why not today too? Um, it's interesting to me that everything that touched David's hands, or any of the psalmist's hands for that matter, they turned into worship. And I think that's a great that's a great lesson for us. Whatever is going on in our life, God is wanting us to reflect on uh, what is that telling us about God? What is that telling us about ourselves? So Psalm 29. And as you turn there, just uh, to update you, why are we not gathering this morning at Deltona High School? I don't know if they have power or not, but I know this. Here's the protocol for Volusia County Schools. Whenever there's a storm or some kind of community emergency and school is canceled on Friday, that campus automatically turns into a backup emergency shelter. Whether people end up gathering there or not, it has to be reserved or preserved for emergency shelters. So we couldn't gather there. All rentals are canceled at every Volusia County school today. So uh, I would imagine a lot of churches that gather uh, and, and use that space as our gathering place uh, had to make other arrangements, and it's no different with us. And I do, I have heard that Volusia County is, is canceled through Tuesday, but school starts on Wednesday. So if we have power at Volusia County School, and I don't anticipate us not having power, we should be back on schedule to regather there this coming Sunday morning um, at 10 a.m. So I hope you're able to join us or tune in live stream again if, if you're not able to gather in person. So we got the scripture for you here this morning. We're going to read this together. Psalm chapter 29, and I'm going to read it out loud, all 11 verses. And we should have the slide up for you, and you can follow along here. Psalm 29, I'm using the English Standard Version. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. I just, if, if you can just imagine that, there's turbulence, there's waters, there's chaos, there's death. There's destruction, there's 12-foot surge in Fort Myers, and the Bible says the Lord is not standing on edge, nervous, anxious. He's seated. He's enthroned. He's on his throne above all the waters. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Uh, I, th I think what was happening here was that King David, maybe on the palace rooftop, he was looking out over northern Israel. Some of the topography descriptions here are in northern Israel, some even beyond the borders of Israel. And David is watching a storm gather off the coast of the Mediterranean Ocean. And he's watching it form and organize and move in and sweep in with rain, with thunder, with lightning. And it was just a magnificent reflection uh, 
for him at least, on God's power. In fact, the word for God or Lord is used 18 times in just 11 verses. So again, David is taking something that we would call, hey, look at this natural storm. And he's saying, no, this is God. This is a reminder of God's presence, God's power, God's wisdom, God's beauty. Um, he used this as a call to worship as he, he was singing during the storm. Maybe that, would have been a, maybe that would have been a better title than what I gave it, Lord of the Storm. This could be how to sing during a storm. And this was certainly a terrible storm that we witnessed this week. But I want to I talk about three things, I think, from this psalm. I'll go as quickly as I can here. God wants us to consider his power. We're looking at this storm and all the storms that come into your life. What's their purpose? What does God want from us? What's he doing? Well, one, he wants us to consider his power. Um, it's interesting to me that the first four stanzas of this psalm in verse 1 are telling us, ascribe, 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 ascribe power, ascribe beauty, ascribe glory, worship God. It's, it's, that's the only imperative verbs in the entire psalm telling us to do something. And it's basically saying, consider God's power, worship God, praise God, ascribe him glory that's due his name. So God wants us to consider his power. Secondly, he wants us to confess his power. Say, this is power and it belongs to God, it's his. And third, God wants us to actually experience his power. So first, first let's, uh, let's talk about consider his power. God is not hiding his power, and he doesn't want a storm just to go to waste for us to think, oh, you know what, this has nothing to do with God. We've been talking about Romans chapter 8 in our normal week, and by the way, I figured it would be a good week to take a break from Romans. Nobody's thinking about Romans right now. Most people are thinking about storms and not having power, and so I thought, why not talk about it? Turn it into theology. So, um, God wants to us to consider his power. Don't let a good storm go to waste. Did you actually know that there are, right now, at this very moment, 2,000 storms raging on planet Earth? In fact, at any given moment, there's 2,000 storms uh, taking place, sweeping over the planet. That's 16 million storms per year. That's a lot of, that's a lot of storms. Well, here, David is going to let this storm guide us into a reflection on God's power. Uh, did you know that Hurricane N on impact covered the entire state of Florida? It's something to behold. It was at different points, 140, 150 miles if, if ranging from the power, power surge winds from the outside. And whenever it made impact, it covered the entire state and the satellite images are just breathtaking. Uh, and it was, it turns out, one of the deadliest storms probably in our lifetime. To, uh, to hit Florida, I think they've said right now the death total is up to 77. A lot of people are missing and presumed dead, which is just tragic, catastrophic. While I'm sitting here leading us in a sermon right now, people are still looking and praying against all hope for their loved ones to be discovered. Uh, this was a deadly storm. One weather channel meteorologist uh, that I was reading, he's covered more than 90 storms. He's had a 30-year career tracking hurricanes. And he said that Hurricane N, uh, he has not seen anything even remotely close to the power and the devastation of Hurricane N in over 30 years. The damage in southwest Florida especially is beyond anything we've, we've ever seen in that area. Fort Myers has been effectively leveled. Governor DeSantis said there were at least 12-foot storm surges there. I, just imagine that. Your ceiling is probably 8-foot. Some of you have 10-foot. Or 12-foot ceilings, imagine that's the depth of the ocean uh, in your living room whenever the hurricane blew it in. Over 2 million people 
uh, in Florida were without power. There were over 1,000 water rescues that took place, thank God, for the first responders. This was a, this was a, a Category 4 hurricane, but it was right on the edge of a Category 5. It had sustained winds of up to 155 miles per hour. Um, and it, when it hit, when it made landfall, it started crawling across the state just at two miles per hour. That's why all the flooding and the damage happened. Hurricanes are powerful. It's hard really to imagine anything more destructive. Economic cost event are going to exceed probably $100 billion. The island of Cuba suffered a, a complete blackout. So we're, we're talking about a storm. We're considering a storm. David considered his storm. And we're going to consider our storm. Um, we, we actually have an advantage that David didn't. He was only limited to what his naked eye could see visibility-wise. But we have technology now. We actually watched Tropical Storm in days earlier out in the middle of the Atlantic develop. Uh, and it gained strength when it hit the warmer waters of the Gulf. And it became more organized and more dangerous. And it gained speed and intensity and it turned into tropical storm in turned into hurricane in and it moved west and it went from level one to two to three to four um and then we saw it it was upon our border uh made it made landfall in southwest florida um david watching that storm i guess one of the good things about being the king is that your mom can't tell you get away from the window the lightning's the lightning's going to strike right so this is the first thing that that I see in this psalm, it's an invitation to consider God's power. Think how raw the power of a hurricane is. And then think of the one who controls the hurricane. Think, think of God. Um, when you consider God's power in a storm, there's a couple things you notice. Number one, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And number two, it's inescapable. First, it's unstoppable. That's, that's pretty humbling. There's nothing you can do when a storm rolls in. And look, I know we're talking about the hurricane but use that as a metaphor or, or allegorically for the storms that come into your life. Things that seem you didn't have any time to brace yourself or to prepare yourself. They just come in in waves. Something tragic, something unexpected, some type of affliction, suffering, pain, agony. Um, you didn't want it, but it came. And there's nothing, there's nothing you could do to stop it. It came anyway. It was interesting when Irma came, Hurricane Irma in 2017. I read where officials were warning people in Florida to stop firing their weapons up into the air at the storm. Um, some of you may be like, well, that's, that's what were they doing? Just like six beers deep into a power outage? I don't know, but the state officials said, that's dangerous, don't do that. Sometimes it feels like that's what we want to do. We want to shake our fist at the sky and, and run out to the edge of the beach and say, I command you to stop. And some people probably did, but you know what? The storm's not going to listen to you. It doesn't care. You can't command it. There's only one who can control the storm, right? He, he says... Thus far may your waves go and, new, and no further. We can't stop the storm. It's, uh, it's interesting when you read all the descriptions of this storm that swept through Israel in Psalm 29. David gives these descriptions of, he says the cedars of Lebanon were, were just uh, stripped bare. They were splintered. If you think of a cedar, I don't know if uh, here's, a, here's a cedar grove in Israel. And you think, oh, okay, that's cute. It's a little grove of trees. Well, actually... Cedars were massive. In fact, a cedar tree was a symbol of strength, of size, of longevity. The most stable, anchored, secure thing that's not ever going to move or go anywhere and it can't be destroyed. That would be what an Israelite would say, yeah, the cedars of Lebanon, duh. You can't do anything. That was what 
Solomon used to build the temple uh, whenever he was building the temple in the Old Testament, the cedars of Lebanon. Maybe this picture will help you see. If you're wanting something strong, you can't get anything stronger than that. Some of them were over 12 stories tall, 120 feet. Some of them had a width of over 40 feet. They would dwarf every other tree and make them look like tiny plants um, in comparison. They were the king of trees. They were magnificent. They were majestic. And yet David says this storm turned them into splinters. Um, it mangled them. They were toothpicks. And here's the point. There's always something stronger than the thing that we attach all of our hopes to, right? We think, this is the thing that's going to carry me through life. I'm, I'm talented. i got a good education. I'm funny. I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I'm connected. I've got a, you know, whatever it is, we think that that's the thing that I'm going to pin all my hopes on. That's the thing that's going to get me through life. And God is saying, you better be careful. You better be careful what you tether yourself to, right? Because there's always something stronger. Um, whenever the storm was rolling in and we saw it gain strength, I did what many of you did. Um, I'm a little bit lazy when it comes to boarding up my windows. But I thought, you know what? There's some possible projectile objects in my yard. I love my neighbors. I don't want these things to be missiles and go through their windows. So I started picking up the yard. And you hear all the terrible stories about trampolines that end up Lord knows where. So we took our trampoline and we shoved it between the two strongest things we knew in our backyard, two queen palm trees. And I got some rope and I tied the trampoline to those queen palm trees with a knot that Samson couldn't untie. Um, and then I noticed something that the hurricane, in the middle of the hurricane, it was taking one of the queen palms and bending it at a 45 degree angle. And I thought, man, the thing you think is the strongest and is not going anywhere is the very thing sometimes that gets uprooted from your life. For whatever mysterious purpose that God has, there's always something stronger. Um, outside of God, we are absolutely powerless. That's humbling to admit, isn't it? You can't stop the storms that come into your life and you're grasping for something to grab onto. I, I heard just like you did the stories of the people that were swept away by the storm surge and they were grabbing onto anything they could grab onto. Railings, people, trees, and, and it was just ripped from their clutches and they were swept away, never to be seen again. Storms do that. They sweep down. They're uncontrollable. They're unpredictable. They're forces, and, and, and we can't stand up against them. We watch helplessly. We feel small. They take our security away. But what God is wanting us to do is just consider the source of the storm, the one who is moving the storm by the power of his finger. So what often happens is that we find something that we think is solid and anchored and secure and immune from trouble, something impressive, and we tether our lives to it, but we find out later it wasn't as solid as we thought it was. It was like the cedars of Lebanon. It gets splintered. God wants us to hang on to him. He doesn't want us to be like the man in the end of the parable that Jesus told um, who built his house upon the sand and its collapse was great. Um, physical storms and power loss is just a metaphor, really, for the security in our life and how tremendously impotent we are without God. So if you think that you are competent to run your life, watch the storm. Watch the damage that it does. Watch how uncontrollable it is. Um, and it can be overwhelming. The Bible says in this psalm that the forests were stripped bare, that cedars were splintered, the mountains were quaking, so this, is, this storm is unstoppable. The second thing it is, is it's inescapable. You can't do what you want to do. You want relief. You want to get away from the storm. And there's times you just can't. I remember again, back in 2017, when Irma hit, 
and that hurricane was just all over the place. All the spaghetti models were almost comical because nobody could really predict, project with any degree of accuracy where the storm was going to go. And, but I remember when it was projected to make landfall in southeast Florida, you remember this? Um, people fled to the west coast to escape its path, but then the trajectory models changed. Um, they, they changed to the uh, west coast, so the west coast evacuated the east coast. And then when Floridians truly saw the size of the storm, that it basically covered the entire state like this one did, they fled up to Georgia, and then the models predicted the storm was going to go up through the west coast of Florida and up into Georgia. So people just pulled, pulled off to the side of 95 and started sucking their thumbs because they ran out of gas, right? And, and uh, that's kind of what happens sometimes during the storm. You can't get away from it. You have to kind of shelter in place and do the, do the best that you can. Um, I don't know many of you were like me. Once it got safe enough, you wanted to drive around and see the damage. And I live in kind of a... The land, there's a, there's a road, Orange Camp Road, and there's a wooded area down there. And I drove down there, and I was just blown away at how some of those heavy oak trees were just toppled over, and some of the saplings were just stripped bare. You could tell. In some places, maybe tornadoes. We were in the what they call the dirty quadrant of that storm, uh, the, the northeast corner, when tornadoes come, and, and it wreaked havoc. The Port Orange Chuck E. Cheese got devastated. It's not going to be any more Chuck E. Cheese up there. Some of the tornadoes that came out of this thing were just devastating. So a few things, obviously you can't stop it, you can't escape it, but the third thing, this first point is that you can't top it either. Um, it's incontestable. A lot of scholars believe that this psalm was written uh, almost in a polemical sense against the false gods and goddesses of, of the Canaanites because they would have written their own psalm their own praise and worship and it would have been the god of Baal and he was the god of the storm he supposedly controlled the water and the wind um, and King David is writing this and he says no there's only one god and he is is ultimately sovereign he's majestic he's supreme um, he is the god of gods the lord of lords the king of kings so the Canaanites would worship the god of the sea the god of the mountains the god of the forest the god of the valleys and all of those gods competed for supremacy, and David is saying there's one God that overrules over all of this, and he sits supremely as king. So that's the first thing that God wants us to do. He wants us to consider his power, and the second thing he wants us to do is to confess his, his power. Again, this, this entire psalm is a call to worship to say, God, okay, I'm getting the message, I'm considering this storm, and I'm reminded that uh, you are the God who creates all things, you govern all things, you control all things. You have ultimate dominion. Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, Storms are the church bell of the universe, ringing for kings and angels and all the sons of earth to their devotions. Uh, that's what this psalm is doing. It is calling us to acknowledge God, to confess God's power. We see the storm, and along with the angels, the mighty ones, we confess that <clears throat> God is sovereign, and he controls. The one who controls this storm is glorious. And we know that he is ultimately merciful. His, his greatness is unsearchable. So this leads to the third part where I really want to camp out for a little bit. God wants us to experience his power. You can either see the storm and you can be terrified or you can be fascinated. Which was David? David was not pacing the palace, going back and forth, checking weather.com. <clears throat> not at all. The power in the storm really prompted David uh, to remember that God sat enthroned during the storm. Uh, how, could, how could David be captivated 
not nervous, not fearful, not terrified, not paralyzed, because he knew the God who controlled the storm. And David ultimately knew, he wrote in another place, Psalm 56, he said, this I know, that God is for me. He knew that that God loved him, that God was intimately acquainted with him, and knew his goings about when he was seated, when he was traveling, when he was fighting, when he was ruling. He knew that that God knew him, he loved him, he understood him, um, <clears throat> and was ultimately for him. It's, it's interesting, the very last word in this psalm, Psalm 29, it says this, may, may the Lord give strength to his people, may the Lord bless his people with peace. Shalom in Hebrew is the very last word in the psalm. It's interesting, the mountains are quaking, the forests are stripped bare, these waves, the storm surge, David's watching this storm, and then he's at peace. May God bless and may give peace. Isn't that interesting? the peace of God for his people. People love peace. They want peace, but it comes at, at, at a great price. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In Hebrew, that literally reads, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. How can that be possible? Well, here's, here's the application for us. Because we belong to Jesus, we don't have to quake. We don't have to shake. We can know that... <clears throat> We can have the ultimate peace of God because of Christ. Christ experienced the storm of God's wrath on our behalf, didn't he? Something much more violent, something much darker than what we see in a storm like this, physical storm. Um, Jesus experienced separation from his Father. He experienced judgment on our behalf. He was God's perfect lamb who traded places with us as a substitute and provided atonement. And David knew that, looking forward to what the Messiah would do. So he wasn't fearful he was in awe. There's a difference. He, he watched this storm play out, and he said in his heart, that's my dad. I'm known by him. I've lo I'm loved by him. I'm secure in him. When, when the storm passes, whatever the storm is for you, uh, maybe it is in, was devastating to you, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something with your family. Maybe it's something in your singleness. Maybe it's something with your health, with your kids. Maybe you have just a chronic fatigue or a chronic sickness, or maybe it's relational conflict, um, maybe it's something tragic, bereavement, loss. We just heard of some dear friends of ours that are having to say goodbye to their four-year-old son. Whatever storm it is that God has sovereignly allowed or brought into your life, when, when it, the storm passes, you know that all that is left for you to cling to is God, and that's all that you need. That's what David was <clears throat> acknowledging here. Um, through the storm, he saw God's weightiness. We talked about this in Romans 8. Glory in Hebrew means heavy. It means weight. How substantial is God to you in your life? Is, is he the plumb line by which you measure everything else? Is he your center of gravity? Is he, is he what you calibrate your life with? For David, he was. And for us, Christ has to be in the center of our universe. All of the, of the planets of our life have to be orbiting in their proper place around him or everything's off kilter, everything's insecure, everything's just subject to being devastated. That's what this psalm is teaching us. And if you think about all these points that we discussed related to considering God's power, we can, we, can also, we can also apply those to the gospel. And that's what I really want to do. Um, it's, it's not enough for Jesus to say, look, look how powerful I am. Acknowledge my, my power. Confess my power. What Jesus ultimately wants for us is to experience his power. And you think about that. I could say the same things about God's grace. It's unstoppable right? It's untoppable. It's inescapable. Um, God's, God's power, the, the voice of the Lord, as it talks about in this 
psalm. It's so powerful. It's so majestic. When, when the gospel call comes to us and God quickens our heart, um, it doesn't matter how far the human heart has gone, how dark, um, just the sins that we're involved in, the things that we've done, the things we have experienced, the sins we've committed against God, how far gone, how, how prodigal we think we've gone, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that can stop the unconquerable grace and gospel of God. There's nowhere that the Spirit of God can't find you and quicken you from. And I think that really that is ultimately um, application here. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, when the Lord sends the word, it breaks hearts far stouter than the cedars. <clears throat> God's love is uncontestable. We can't deny it or dispute the work that it does in transforming men and women's hearts. Yeah, you can see where the storm has been. You can also see where the grace of God is and what it does. How incredibly powerful it is. How it turns stingy, greedy people into generous people. How it turns liars into truth-tellers. How it turns people who were just so hardened and calloused into loving, tender, gentle people who serve King Jesus and who love their neighbor as themselves. <clears throat> when the Apostle Paul was talking about God's power in the New Testament, he said something really interesting in Ephesians 1. He said, I pray that you would know the immeasurable power. He said the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Um, he had to heap up adjectives to describe God's power because there's really it's no words in English we can use. But he said immeasurably great. In Greek, it's huperbalo megathos dunamis. You can almost hear it in English, can't you? He's, he's saying base, basically hyperbolistic, megatonic dynamite of God. That's what Paul is saying when he's talking about the power of God. Now, I've used this illustration before, but I had a professor in seminary that taught Greek. And he said, here's what you guys are going to do, you preachers. You're going to go out there and you're going to say that the word power in Greek is dunamis, and that's the same word that we get the English word dynamite from. And you're going to make this terrible comparison and say, uh, the gospel is powerful, the grace of God is powerful, the Spirit's work is powerful in the same way that dynamite is powerful. And he says, if you do, and I'm an old man and I'm listening to you, I'm going to roll down in my wheelchair and smack you on the shin with my cane, because the gospel is, is not like dynamite. That's not how God is measuring his power here, because... Dynamite blows things up. It's destructive. Kind of like a storm can be destructive, right? The gospel is powerful in that it rebuilds. It's really easy to break something and to destroy something. One of my sons one time, I found him. I couldn't find any pencils in my house, and he had taken my number two pencils, and he had bunched them up, and he and his brother were karate chopping them. And I said, son, what are you doing? And he said, I'm showing how powerful I am. And I said, if you really want to show how powerful you are, put those things back together. That's how true measure, uh, that's how true power is measured. In fact, Paul goes on in that passage, and he does in Romans 1, 2, and he says, I want you to experience the same power that Christ was demonstrated as having when the Holy Spirit resurrected him. So how do you measure power? Is there a category 1 through 5 of power? Do we measure power, the gospel power at work, the Spirit's power at work in you? Do we measure that with ounces, with pounds? Wait, no, it's it's called resurrection power. What's that mean? God is at work restoring us, making us alive, rebuilding us, renewing us. That's how you can tell how powerful God is. It's what he is at work doing in you, in your heart, in your life, how he is. And we're going to talk about this next week or, or whenever we, we're back in Romans. Uh, he is at work conforming you into the image of his son. That takes actually more power than a category five or six hurricane. Um, 
the, the great powerful work of God is rebuilding his people, saving them, redeeming them, sanctifying them, setting the, them apart, making them more and more alive, conforming them into the image of Jesus. That's the power that we see really uh, the, the New Testament talk about. And that's the application that I really wanted to make. Um, there's, there's a story there's a story that, that I found about Jonathan Edwards. You know, he was one of the he was one of the revivalists in, in the American colonies in the 1740s when George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers came over from England. They were preaching the gospel here, and God did a work of awakening in people's hearts. And Jonathan Edwards was was central in that. But he was converted years later when he was younger. And I found in his biography there's a section he he was talking about. He knew as a young man because of his father and his grandfather's influence and his mother's influence. He knew that God was real. He wasn't an atheist. He had a very sharp mind. He loved watching nature. Uh, and he believed in God. And he believed in God's power. He believed in God's presence. He believed in God's sovereignty. But he was absolutely terrified of God because he didn't know the Lord yet. He didn't know God through Christ. And he said when he was little, you can imagine living up in New England in the north northeast colonies, those violent storms when they didn't, when they didn't have hurricane codes that they do now, right? But Edwards said this. He was terrified. He said, Scarcely anything among all the works of nature was so sweet to me as thunder and lightning. This is when he got converted. Formerly, nothing had been so terrifying to me. Before, I used to be uncommonly terrified with thunder and to be struck with terror when I saw a thunderstorm rising. But now, on the contrary, it rejoiced me. I felt God, so to speak, at the first appearance of a thunderstorm and used to take the opportunity at such times to fix myself, he means to position himself, in order to view the clouds, to see the lightnings play, and to hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder, which oftentimes was exceedingly entertaining, leading me to sweet contemplation of my great and glorious God. While thus engaged, it always seemed natural to me to sing. Music, it's poetry. The King David was actually singing to God as he watched this storm get organized, form, strengthen, um, gain speed, and sweep down for the Mediterranean coast and sweep over Israel. He was watching everything in this in the wake of the storm, and he was singing praise to God. And listen, I don't know what storm you're facing. Maybe it's just you're lying in bed at, bed at night, and you're clawing and you're clamoring. You want uh, attention. You want affection. You want to feel significant. And you feel left out, you feel alone, you feel rejected, you feel abandoned. Well, I want you to know this. God knows. He cares about you. Uh, he, wants you to, he wants you to build your life on something more endurable than outward beauty, outward popularity, money, wealth, health, uh, any of those things. Those are going to perish. You know, we're surrounded by death. That's the real storm that we see that, it, that a hurricane reminds us of. If you, th if you think about it, a hurricane just reminds us how impotent we are, how vulnerable we are, how, how subject to death we are. It's everywhere. Second law of thermodynamics. That's why a hurricane can come in and it makes us super aware, just like these sirens that you hear. Our time is coming one day when, when uh, death is going to come for us. But listen, the ultimate storm is this. How can we have the peace that the end of this psalm talks about? It's because Jesus conquered death on our behalf. He faced the ultimate storm. He walked right through the jaws, the gaping jaws of death, and he came out the other side of it on our behalf so that we would never have to experience, ultimately, 
the storm of God's wrath. And David, looking forward, knew that the Messiah would do that in his limited capacity as an Old Testament saint. We have much clearer comprehension, don't we? We know that Jesus was God's Messiah. He came, he conquered death. <clears throat> he made atonement for our sins. He absorbed the judgment of God on our behalf. So death to us has been turned from an executioner into a gardener. Uh, it, it won't be like a prison bus. It'll be like a limo to come and pick us up and usher us into the presence of God. So we too can sing. This is what Spurgeon said. I'll, I'll end with this quote. He says, Can you sing amid the thunder? When the storm comes and rattles you, whatever it is, can you sing among, among the thunder? Will you be able to sing when the last thunders are let loose and Jesus judges the quick and the dead? I think we can because of Christ. So I'm going to just take a moment to close out our, our time of devotion, a little bit shorter of a sermon today. And I want to pray and, and thank God for what he's doing. You can be praying with me. You can pray for those who, who uh, the families that can't find their loved ones, the families that are survivors of those who were killed in the storm. You can pray for those that suffer loss. We, we got word that Faith Bible Church down the street from where we gather, they lost a, a a portion of the roof. You can be pray for them as they make repairs. Be reaching out to your neighbors, to your church, uh, to your family, seeing if they need help. And uh, as far as I know, community groups are just going to be, we're going to leave that up to the leaders to communicate. If they have power, if they're able to gather, you guys can pick up and, and gather and life can get back to normal. Um, but let's, let's pause and let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time to just uh, spend a few minutes reflecting on your power as we consider it, as we confess it, and as we are, are so grateful, Lord, that we have experienced your saving power, the rescue of Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit came when we were dead, when we were hardened, when we were calloused, when we were imprisoned, Lord, when we were taken captive by the devil. You opened our eyes. You made us alive again through Jesus Christ, and you rescued us. You said, mine, and you drew us to yourself, Lord, and now you are changing us you are making us more like Jesus so that we can be salt and light, so that we can join you in your mission to rescue um, and preach the, the, the saving rescue of Jesus Christ to those who are outsiders. So thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity and the technology today to be able to spend a few moments together with maybe some families that are stuck at home. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would use this as an occasion to show the the love of Christ, to be the hands and feet, to be the church, to be the body. Thank you for what you are doing in and through Grace Life. And we pray all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that's going to close our time out today. I just want to remind you, if you need anything, if there's any way we can help you, you can reach out to us. Um, you can email us. Megan, is the, is the email for us contact at gracelifeflorida.com uh, or serving at gracelifeflorida.com. You can reach out to us. You can find our website, uh, www.gracelifeflorida.com. And you can, if you're in a community group or you want to be, you can go to our website, and it's up there on the top tab, Community Group Discipleship. It's under Grow, and you can reach out and request to be a part of a community group, and we'd love to connect with you. And as far as I know, next Sunday, we will be back at Deltona High School at 100 Wolfpack Run at at uh, 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you then. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.